Davis steps under center. Gibson and McClendon behind it. Davis with motion by Richard. Will get the ball to McClendon. He leaps. Oh, he doesn't get in. He fumbled the football. Carolina holds. The game is over. And Carolina has won the game. Finley to throw. Over the middle. Intercepted. Wolfuck again. Wolfuck the other way. At the 30. The 40. Wolfuck to midfield. Miles Wolfuck with the pick. The heels on the doorstep of an enormous victory. Left side of the line. Hood standing to Williams' is right. Williams going to throw. One-on-one. Davis has it. Touchdown. Carolina wins. Carolina is the Coastal Division champion. Bernard fields it at the 26. Heading to the far side. Gio at the 35. Gio, he's at the 50. No, he's not. Yes, he is. Gio, he's going to take it for a touchdown. Are you kidding me? Connor Barth for the possible win. Snap. Spot. Kick away. High enough. Long enough. Hey guys, and welcome to another edition of the Heel Tough Blog Podcast. It's your host, Anthony Pagnotta, with you guys as always. And today, talking to you about the return of one of Carolina's most important veteran players from a year ago. Carolina gets him back as they look for some of those veteran presences here in 2022 upcoming with all the guys that are leaving. Uh, we'll tell you about uh, the return of Ray Boasik and why it is so big. And then we will also update you a little bit on what is going on with the draft stock of the Tar Heels that are pursuing NFL careers. We've given you a little notes and tidbits, but I'm going to tell you a little bit about uh, each guy's performance at their bowl game, showcase game, whatever you want to call it. Uh, and then we'll sort of turn that into a conversation about uh, where, you know, the guys go from here, who's getting combine invites. We got those earlier this week and uh, what that means for their draft stock. Ultimately, it is going to be me solo today. Uh, we will be back hopefully next week talking to you a little bit more about what is going on around Carolina football. Uh, but it is a little bit of a scrambled week here with uh, some of the things that we have going on. Um, so on a Friday here, it'll be me riding solo by myself. But, hey, yeah, let's get into the big news of the week for Carolina, and that is the return of defensive tackle Raymond Velasic. The production from a year ago I don't think really represents just how important Ray was for the Tar Heels over the past few seasons. Remember, he came in prior to the 2019 season as a guy that transferred in from junior college. So he came in as a sophomore. He was an interesting guy. There were some people that looked at him, you know, coming out of junior college as more of a defensive end because that's where he played there. But he really added some weight throughout his time there, became a defensive tackle for Carolina, and eventually became the nose tackle for the team in the middle of that defense this season. And that was big for Carolina because there were some guys that, you know, Carolina kind of projected into that nose tackle spot. 
that didn't really take off at Carolina. Clyde Pinder was one of those guys. Remember, he transferred midseason. Was really the, t- the the typical size for that type of position, six foot, um, three hundred. So really, a, a, a big girthy guy could take up space and was supposed to be that two gap guy. Didn't turn out to be that. Kendrick Bingley Jones was a guy Carolina was looking at prior to the twenty twenty season. Uh, and then, unfortunately, he got injured before his true freshman season. He ends up getting pushed back now. You know, he's trying to find his spot on the depth chart, still coming off what was an Achilles injury that really set his career back. And, you know, outside of that, Carolina hasn't really had that guy that's fit that spot. Miles Murphy, you know, he's got some pretty good size, but it feels like he's one of those guys that thrives a little bit more uh, as a pass rusher. So, he wants to get a little bit better leverage, isn't a two-gap guy that can cover space that quickly. Um, and, you know, now Carolina uh, does have that guy, but they didn't have him this past year. Some people think that's what Travis Shaw would have been able to do, but it'll be interesting to see how he fits in the new defensive scheme. But Velasa coming back, still huge for Carolina. Last year, 38 total tackles, four tackles for loss, and one sack. Second half of the year was really where he did a decent amount of his damage because Miles Murphy in the first half of the year was the guy that was really revving things up on the defensive line. He had a tremendous start to the year before fading in the second half of the season, registering just a half a tackle per loss and no sacks down the stretch of the year. That's when Velocic started to pick it up a little bit. But you could tell that he was just not a guy that really thrived in the role as the nose tackle of this defense. Um, You know, he he did a decent job there in 2020. The numbers would tell you that he had a pretty solid season, but I I still don't think that's the area where he really thrives best, even though, as I mentioned, he thrived really well in that 2020 season where he had 29 total tackles, eight and a half tackles for loss and three and a half sacks. Uh, I still feel like he's a guy that's going to probably fit the new system better. And I think that's part of the reason why he came back. You know, we're going to talk about some of these draft guys coming up here, uh, guys that are pursuing NFL careers currently and trying to get drafted in the 22 draft. I think the 2023 draft, the, you know, Raymond Velasic now might have a better chance with Gene Chizik coming back and the switch in the defensive front than he would have had uh, in this class. And I think that's a big part of the reason why he came back. And I think there's a real chance that he is going to be able to help his draft stock during this season. You know, I think the the biggest thing, the biggest change that you're going to see across the board, and we'll talk about this a lot more as we get closer to the season. We'll talk about the guys that we think are going to benefit from the shift change uh, when we get closer to the year, very similar to what we did when we talked on the basketball side of things about Hubert Davis and his staff coming in and who would thrive under his new system. But Velocic, I think, more than just about anybody in this system, is really going to like the fact that he is not going to see double teams as often. I think that was one of the big issues for him uh, over the past couple of years when you would see him kind of get washed out of plays, when you would see teams really be able to take advantage of the running game through the middle of the field, which was kind of rare, mainly because I think it was so easy to get to the edges. That's still an area where Carolina's got a lot of work to do. But I think also the fact that you could just double team a guy in Velocic that was probably a little bit undersized, uh, especially out of the gate and even in 2020. And then this past year, I still just don't think was used to playing at that weight. 
I think that really allowed teams to be able to take advantage of that. But uh, now in the new system, you're talking about a guy that is going to be able to focus on getting more downhill quicker. Uh, he's going to have more single uh, blocks that he's going to be facing. He's going to be matched up more often with guards, I think, rather than centers, especially uh, if you're going to get somebody that's a little bit bigger next to him, if Travis Shaw is that guy that slides in there, um, or, you know, potentially, uh, you know, some of the other guys. I, I think Travis Shaw is probably a little bit too uh, aggra- aggressive there with him being a true freshman. But I think even a guy like Miles Murphy could demand more double teams than Raymond Velasic, and that could allow him to succeed. The biggest thing about him coming back, though, and I think it really doesn't even have to do with the X's and O's, is the leadership. Carolina is looking for these leaders on the defensive side of the football because, yeah, this is a group that had some experience, but it's still a team that, if you look at the class rankings, still relatively young. A lot of guys that played as true freshmen. And look, in terms of game experience, these guys are considered veterans now. They need to step up. They need to play better. There's no doubt about that. In terms of leadership, I think you're looking for some of those guys that have been around for a while, that have played college football for three or four years at a consistent level. They're looking for those types of leaders. And really, there aren't that many guys. Miles Murphy's going to be one of those guys, and he's going to be a true junior. Um, I think he's probably one of the main guys that you're looking towards. But outside of him, there's not really that guy there. There's a lot of questions in the secondary, mainly at safety. I think there's you know questions that still have to be asked at corner. That was an area we never thought we'd have questions at. But Tony Grimes, can he bounce back from a slow year? Uh, is he really seen as a leader after coming in as you know a, a true freshman when he was supposed to be in his senior year of high school? That's a lot to put on his shoulders as he tries to focus on you know getting himself back on track after a rough year in terms of his numbers and being targeted so you know over this past year. Storm Duff still trying to come back from injury. I think he's probably one of the more veteran presences in the room, but the problem for him is he just hasn't been out there all that much. Then you go to the linebacker spot, you lose Jeremiah Gimmel, that's huge. Uh, you also, at, at edge rusher, lose Tamon Fox. And you look at those two spots, there's not really that veteran that stands out at either one of those positions. Linebacker, maybe you're saying it's Cedric Gray. Remember that earlier this season, Cedric Gray wasn't even a starter. Power Eccles, that's a lot to put on his shoulders because he would be a first-time starter if he ends up taking over the starting role in the middle, which is what we expect. And then the other linebacker position, you're going to have a new starter there. And then you go to the defensive line. There's so much rotation down there, and there's not you know, there's not a lot of consistency either. I think the consistent guys that we've talked about are Ray Velasic and Miles Murphy. So it feels like Velasic might be that leader of that defense this year, and he's a pretty vocal guy. We've seen it before. Uh, he's a guy that that plays with a lot of energy, um, and I think he's he's going to be one of those guys that they're going to look to in that room especially with the amount of young defensive line guys that they have to step up and play a big role for them. The transfer, uh, Noah Taylor, is also going to probably play a big role there as well. But it helps to have a guy that has been here for a while, not as just a veteran of college football, but as a veteran at Carolina that's going to be able to come in and help you out. I think that's huge for the Tar Heels to get him back in that capacity. And uh, it'll just be interesting to see 
Can he sort of get back to that form that he had in 2020? If he can do that, I think that'd be very welcome for Carolina, especially because he probably won't have to play as many reps as he did back then. Carolina has defensive tackle depth and guys that they will rotate in situationally. So I think it takes a little bit of pressure off of them in that respect. And the shift change, uh, the, 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 the uh, shift to a new scheme up front, I think can help him as well. So we're going to take a break real quick, come back uh, after this message from DraftKings, and we'll talk to you about the guys in the NFL draft. What exactly is happening with Sam Howell? What did people think of his senior bowl week? What did people think of two guys that were at the East-West Shrine game, and why are they potentially trending up on the draft board? And there's a couple other guys that received combine invites that did not participate in bowl games uh, or showcase games, whatever you call them. We'll talk to you about that coming up here on the Heel Tough blog podcast back after this from DraftKings. The moment we've been waiting for since September is finally here. In honor of the big game, DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of Super Bowl 56, is giving new customers 56 to 1 odds on either team. Bet just $5 and get 280 in free bets if your team wins. DraftKings Sportsbook is now live in New York, meaning you can bet from almost a third of the country. If Sportsbook isn't available in your state yet, play DraftKings Daily Fantasy Football Contest for Super Bowl 56. New customers can get a free shot at a $1 million top prize with their first deposit. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app, use the promo code TPPN, and get 56 to 1 odds on either team. Bet just $5 and get 280 in free bets if your team wins. That's promo code TPPN at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of Super Bowl 56. 21 plus, minimum age and location requirements vary by jurisdiction. See DraftKings.com slash Sportsbook for a full list of requirements and state-specific responsible gambling resources. Voidware prohibited. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. In Tennessee, call or text the Tennessee Red Line, 1-800-889-9783. In Connecticut, call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat. In New York, call 877-8-H-O-P-E-N-Y or text HOPE-N-Y-4673. Six, nine. So we welcome you back into the Heel Tough Blog Podcast. Anthony Pegnata riding solo here on this edition. And it is time to turn and look at the guys that are pursuing NFL draft uh, to, to be selected in the NFL draft in the upcoming season, pursuing NFL careers. And it starts, of course, everybody is talking about it, and rightfully so. It's Sam Howell in that quarterback group that has a lot of questions. There are a lot of people that right now still are not 100% sold on any of the quarterbacks in this class. I've heard some people say that they believe this class would be similar to the one that had Christian Ponder in it, um, also comparative to the one that had EJ Manuel in it. Don't think that's quite the case. I think there's, a, there, there's some upside with a lot of guys here. I think Sam Howell's in that conversation. There are are people all over the board on him, but he went out to the senior bowl and he showed out pretty well. He did exactly what he really needed to do to sort of steady, steady his stock 
where he's at. I don't think he really helped himself all that much. I don't think he's going to take a massive climb up the boards. I think Malik Willis was that guy that really stood out to a lot of the scouts and probably made the most money out there. But I do think that he showed a couple of things, especially in the game, that I think were encouraging. His ability to make tough throws on the run, uh, his ability to you know take off and, and, and shed defenders. Um, he's a tough-nosed runner. I think he was able to show that. Um, and, and there are some things that I think a lot of people really liked. But in the game, I think he showed the biggest concern and the biggest problem that he's going to have to correct and that we've been talking about for the last couple of years with him. And that is he's a guy that tries to make the hero plays. He holds on to the football too long. That resulted in two fumbles in the game. Now, both of them were recovered by his team. And, you know, there were a couple other opportunities, especially with the first fumble, where it wouldn't have happened had they been able to pick up the first down uh, as a result of his teammates dropping the ball. Um, They had a penalty that offset what would have been a first down run, then leading to the play that he eventually fumbled on. So there are those types of plays that, you know, could have helped him out in this game, but he's still got to be able to learn that clock in his head, get rid of the football. That's still something that I think right now people are going to have to be concerned about going into his NFL career. It still feels like he's a guy that needs to get in the right system. I don't think this is a guy that you're just plugging into whatever system you have and he's going to be able to adjust. Look, he did a great job of adjusting this past year to become that mobile quarterback. But at the same time, I feel like putting a lot of really good pieces around him, putting him with a guy that has had a lot of success at the NFL level as a head coach, as a play caller, uh, would, would be very, would be great. And I think the team that most people and uh, the team that I have now sort of set my sights on for him to go to would be Tampa Bay. I think that's a great fit for him. If Bruce Arians is willing to stick it out in Tampa, which I think is a question mark at this point. Once Tom Brady retired, those questions definitely started popping up, and rightfully so. But if he is willing to stay there, I think that could be a great fit. I think he's got that sort of mentality. He is a guy that's going to soak up any chance that he gets to learn from somebody like a Bruce Arians or really anybody throughout the NFL, but especially someone that's as highly respected as Arians is. And I think, you know, for him, Learning under Arians and, and, and having the amount of weapons around him and a coach that's going to be able to do some different things to allow him to succeed the best, I think would be a great fit for him. I don't know if that's an option. I have no idea at this point if Tampa is looking for a rookie quarterback, if they're a team that's going to be in the market for a veteran quarterback. But I think that is one of the situations that's most attractive because I think. You take the other NFC South team off the board now in New Orleans, I think Dennis Allen could have a chance to succeed there, definitely a little bit better than his first time as a head coach with the Raiders. But it's not the same feel as it was with Sean Payton there. That's still a franchise that's had a lot of success, but now you've got a defensive mind, not an offensive guru like Sean Payton that can get the best out of a guy like Sam Howell. I think. Still attractive, Minnesota, uh, especially with Kevin O'Connell going there. I know he's a young coach, um, but he's a guy that I think did some really good things in his time sort of climbing the ladder. And then, of course, this year 
help take Matthew Stafford to the next level in Los Angeles. So I think him becoming the head coach there, probably you would expect calling plays there would allow him to succeed. And, you know, I, I think it, it would be an interesting fit. And I think there definitely are some concerns because of the offensive line, which is another thing I think he really needs in front of him. It's receivers, but he's got to have some good guys out there that can catch the football and make plays, especially early on in his career, if you're expecting him to play a big role. But I think if they can get the offensive line short up and with the coach that they're bringing in, I really think that the New York Giants could be an interesting fit for him. I'm concerned as a Giants fan. I know that they have not gotten the offensive line right in nearly 10 years. David Gettleman was supposed to be the guy that could fix that and never did. We'll see what Joe Shane can do there. He built some pretty good offensive lines in front of Josh Allen uh, or helped to build them uh, with Brandon Bean, who has done a tremendous job there in Buffalo. But we'll have to wait and see. That one's probably one that I'd like to steer away from. I think the Giants, first of all, would have to trade back. There's no way. Or they would take him in the second round, which I think is in play. But I think those are probably the fits that you're looking at. And those are, I think, kind of what has changed from his week down in Mobile or some of the fits. In terms of his stock, it's really the same. I think he's probably a guy that's going to go – late first if a team really likes him at the back end and could think he's the quarterback of the future maybe he sits or that situation that I talked about with Tampa or he's that early second round pick the Giants might sneak in there and grab him uh the Carolina Panthers could be in play there I know that's one of the teams that's kind of been tied to some of the higher quarterbacks in the draft and I'm going to be honest I would not like that fit at all especially with the situation that the Panthers are currently going through Matt Rule coming into a make or break it year uh, or make or break year with Ben McAdoo as his head coach. I don't think Ben McAdoo would be the worst offensive coordinator that Sam Howell could learn under because he's done some good things with the quarterbacks that he has coached up before. But I don't know if that is a great fit, especially with the fact that the offensive line is just a complete and utter mess. So uh, I, I do think that. The best option for him is to go late first round, but we'll see. There's still time for him to climb. He is going to the NFL uh, scouting combine, and I think one of the interesting things to watch with Sam is what does he do? Is he a guy that goes out and chooses to throw, which could potentially uh, help his stock or hurt it? It's it's a risk either way, but I think that if he does go out and throw and really surprises some people, which I think he could do, he really – is one of those guys that thrives when it comes to the throw on air, the uh, you know throwing through the different levels, layering the football. Uh, I think that he is definitely a guy that could thrive at that at the combine. So keep an eye on that. Let's see what he ends up doing out there and if he can help his draft stock. And of course, remember that Mitch Trubisky was a guy that people still had questions about until he got to his pro day. Once he went through. Uh, and, and as corny as it is, look, it is a planned out 75 snap, 50 snap, whatever it is, um, you know, workout and walkthrough of seven on seven through the air, all that kind of stuff. He will probably go through that same type of stuff on his pro day, very similar to Trubisky. 
And if he comes out and plays as well as we think he is capable of in, in that type of situation, he could still climb draft boards. I don't think he's going to be in the running for the number one quarterback off the board. It's up in the air, but I think he probably has taken himself out of contention. I really think he needed a great showing in Mobile to get to that spot. But I do think that he's still a guy that could solidify himself as a first-round quarterback moving forward. Let's move on to the guys that were at the East-West Shrine game because, look, Powell's stock is high. It was going to be really hard. He really had to just go off and look tremendous for him to move up some draft boards. Not the case at the East-West Shrine game, the two guys that were in attendance there, but two guys that had really, really good weeks. We'll start with Ty Chandler. He was the guy that was on most draft boards. A lot of people had him as a mid-round running back. I think he's pretty much solidified himself as an early day three. And if he can go to the combine, put up some good times, and do the same at his pro day, I think he can sneak into the back end of that day two. I really think he could be a third-round guy because he thrived down there uh, in Las Vegas. He really showed out, did a great job, uh, you know, throughout the entire week. A lot of people had him as their best practice running back. He was the guy everybody was buzzing about because of his great mix of speed and power. Um, and, and really the things that we saw from him when Carolina was able to give him some blocking. Remember, he was able to take over the games against Virginia and Wake Forest pretty much led Carolina to wins in both of those games. I know Sam Howell had a pretty good day in both of those games as well, but those games were on the back of Ty Chandler and how well he performed in those games. He did such a great job catching the football out of the backfield at times this year, and I think he showed that ability again out there in Las Vegas. He's a guy to definitely keep an eye on. And I think the middle rounds for running backs is up in the air. I think the top running backs pretty solidified at this point. I think Kenneth Walker, the third, is a guy that's definitely going high in this draft. No doubt about it. Definitely deserves it. Isaiah Spiller up there. Carolina fans should remember him. The Tarians played against him in the Orange Bowl. Uh, against Texas A&M back in 2020, dynamic rusher who can pretty much do it all. Um, good chance, and I think you know, with Chandler, could be that guy that is a good change of pace back uh, to start off his career. Um, but you look, I, I think there were some comparisons of his skill set to what Michael Carter did. And remember, Michael Carter was a guy when he was drafted. The Jets pretty much said, "Look, we're going to play him." and play him a decent amount. Now, part of that is that the Jets' backfield situation is not good. It was not good entering the year, and behind Carter, it's still not good now. Uh, Carter's pretty much the most stable guy there, and I think he'll probably be RB1 moving forward for them. If Ty Chandler can get in that type of situation, I think he has a good opportunity to eventually run away with that RB1 type of role. Or if he lands in a spot, or you do have some of these injury-prone, uh, high draft picks uh, or, or high-caliber running backs, I should say, uh, that have made big money. There's some guys throughout the league. And, again, I've talked about – you know, we talked about them with the quarterbacks. I think the Carolina Panthers, um, although they've got Shuba Hubbard, so I think that's probably off the table. The New York Giants, team that, you know, has injury issues year in and year out with Saquon Barkley. Um, maybe that's not who it ultimately is, but – those are the types of spots where 
he could potentially land and succeed. But I also think as a number two option, he would be pretty happy with that, especially with where his stock was last year when he arrived at Carolina. But you saw some traits with him. He's got that you know good top-end speed that we talked about. Uh, didn't really have a chance to break off a ton of them, but I think hit more home runs this year uh, than the guys did a year ago. Uh, and Michael Carter and Javante Williams, he just didn't get to show it off probably as much as we would have liked. But he's showing that there is a lot to like about him. He's a more than capable running back and a guy that, uh, you know, that you could draft and, and potentially in the future as a middle round guy could eventually climb into one of those starting roles and succeed. The other guy that was out there, uh, people were talking about the entire week was Kyler McMichael. And he honestly flew under the radar to even getting the invite. I did not see him receive that invite. There was a lot of talk when Ty Chandler received his invite to the East-West Tron game. Not the same type of buzz when Kyler McMichael did. So that one kind of slipped under the radar. And now uh, he's a guy that I think is going to jump onto some of these draft boards because he did a really good job out in Vegas. There were multiple people out there that were talking about him the week that he had and really surprised the people. Now, look, do I think he's a guy that's going to jump on and be a mid-round pick? Maybe even a late day two pick? Probably not. That That's probably a, a little too rich because he wasn't on many draft boards before then. The thing is, you got to kind of question, was he not on draft boards because people didn't think that he uh, was coming out? Or is he not on draft boards because people didn't think he was honestly this good of a player? He is the guy that honestly, when you look at this Carolina defense this past year, may have regressed the most of any player that the Tar Heels had. Uh, last year, I know that maybe we put a little bit too much on his plate in terms of him being uh, the full-time guy at that number two corner spot. But from what we saw a year ago back in 2020, he looked capable of doing that. There were some things you know, that, that, that he did really well. I thought, you know, he was a guy that w was able, even during the early part of this year, uh, to, you know, be there in man coverage most of the time. He has good coverage skills for the most part. He doesn't get beat over the top. Um, he has the speed to stay with guys. And I, I think he's a guy that has pretty good hips to uh, be able to open up quickly and, and, and get into uh, his stride to be able to stay with guys. But I think this year you just saw a guy that lost some confidence. Uh, he definitely is going to have to get better in terms of run defense. That's still a work in progress. Didn't see a whole lot of that in the East-West Shrine game, so I think that's still an area of concern with him. But, man, this guy really had himself a week, did a really good job. He showed uh, some good short area quickness, good breaks on the football, and made a, a lot of pass deflections, according to the guys that were there. We saw it in the game as well. Had a nice PBU uh, that people were talking about during the game. It was all over Twitter. So this is a guy that has flown under the radar all draft season. Honestly, most of us, when we saw he was going to the draft, including myself, said, I don't know about this one. This might be a little too lofty of a risk for him. He might want to go into the transfer portal, find another destination, and maybe next year try to come out. But you got to give him credit. He came out 
bet on himself, and it seems like he is at least going to have a chance. I, I would say this. I think at the least, even if he doesn't guarantee himself getting drafted, um, which I think is, is you know, in play now before I would have said no way, he is, I think, locked himself up at least a shot to be on an NFL roster in training camp, which is amazing with him not being on any draft boards to get to that point based on the East-West Shrine game. For him, the biggest thing that hurts him is he didn't get the combine invite. I was kind of shocked because of how well he showed out in Vegas, but unfortunately it seems like they didn't feel like it was enough to get him out there uh, to the scouting combine. So we'll have to just wait and see um, on him. I, I think Pro Day is going to be huge for him. What does he do? Is he able to put up uh, some good numbers in the 40? Um, is, you know, how does he look in terms of the drills with opening up? Does he show fluid hips? If he does, I think he's a guy that'll be intriguing to some of those teams late on in day three, definitely when it comes to the undrafted free agent market. Some of the other bowl games, of course, we talked to you a little bit about these bowl games uh, a, couple, a week ago uh, because they had already gone on. But Marcus McKeithen, there wasn't a whole lot that came out of the NFL PA Collegiate Bowl. And look, that one's not covered as heavily as the other two. East-West Shrine, usually some of the bigger sites um, are out there. Uh, primarily, you know, pro football focus. I know Trevor Sycamore was out there who we're still trying to uh, to try to get here over the next couple of weeks. Uh, Draft Network, they do go out there as well. But some of the really big sites like ESPN, CBS, they don't head out there. Still big enough where it's worth the conversation. The NFLPA Collegiate Bowl, nowhere near that and definitely not near what the Senior Bowl is. So, yeah, they, they typically don't get as much coverage. Things come out a little bit more delayed on them. And one of the bits of news that came out a little delayed from when we talked about it the last time was the performance of Marcus McKeithen down there. He came out, did earn the first-team all-practice group uh, on the offensive line down there. And, look, that's a bowl game. You know, that's one, again, it's, it's, it's the third of the bowls in terms of the ones that pretty much get the picking rights. Um, those are guys that typically are going to go in the late rounds. I think, you know, you're, the highest I remember in recent memory um, was Fabian Moreau, who played in that game as a cornerback out of UCLA that went, I think, late in the third or maybe early in the fourth. So those are going to be late-round guys. Marcus McKeithen did what he needed to do. There is a lot of upside still with McKeithen. I know Toriel fans definitely down on anybody that was on that offensive line this year. But if you look at the numbers – not great in pass protection. There's no denying that, although I don't think he was as bad uh, as even the numbers suggested. I think the tackles really got away, according to pro football focus, a lot more than they probably should have. But I do think that he is still a really good run blocker. That was pointed out by Willie Anderson, who's a guy that is an offensive line guru. Um, he was a guy that was out there. Um, and he really liked what he saw from McKeithen in that respect and also said that he did a good job in pass pro. So I think, you know, maybe him getting out of Carolina, getting into a, a place where his center isn't always banged up, the communication is a little bit better, could definitely help him moving forward. 
he's a guy that I think has the size, has enough experience at the college level, and has done enough things as a run blocker where he is going to be able to get uh, a, a, a spot on an NFL roster and training camp. But I, I think this might get him at least into the conversation of getting drafted before this week. There were some sites that had him getting drafted, but it really wasn't that many. He was really looked at as more of a camp body, um, you know, that they bring in. Maybe, you know, one of those high-end undrafted free agents that they respect and give a, a legitimate opportunity to. But if he can go out now with receiving a combine invite, which is huge for him, and impress, I think he definitely has a chance uh, to get drafted. So good things from him. Jordan Tucker didn't really get talked about out at the NFLPA Collegiate Bowl. But the fact that he was invited helped his draft stock because this was a guy that had to go to the College Gridiron Showcase, which is an early January event. They don't even actually play a game. It is actually just basically practices. They do four practices. Um, and it's a chance for every football league out there really to get a look at you. The NFL's there, the CFL, the XFL. Um, these are guys that are, you know, probably looked at as maybe they make NFL training camp rosters, but they'll get their guys looked at that'll probably get cut or they won't even get those opportunities. So for him to even be invited to the NFL PA collegiate bowl, I think is a huge step for him. It helps his stock, but I think he's still got a little bit of ways to go. Tamon Fox, we told you a couple of weeks ago about his appearance in the Hula Bowl. Quiet week. Now, again, this one way down there in terms of coverage. This is probably fifth on the totem pole. They have the uh, Spiral Tropical Bowl, which I believe a couple of Torials have played in over the past couple of years. Names are not coming to me right now. But uh, Tamon Fox, look, we know what the issue is with him. Anybody that's watched Carolina football knows, look, the numbers are there for him, but they come in bunches. He is far from a consistent player. That has been his biggest thing that's held him back throughout his career. So, look, situational pass rushing downs, people could look for him. But the thing is, he's got to be more consistent at getting to the quarterback and actually wrapping up and making tackles. He's a guy that's limited in terms of his ability to stop the run, doesn't contain the edge all that well. So that's the reason why he's lower on draft boards. He's there. People talk about him. He's pretty much seen as an undrafted guy. There's a couple of uh, the draft sites that kind of have him on the edge of undrafted, maybe being looked at by a couple of teams. But really, it's this simple. He's got to have a really, really good pro day. Somebody has to fall in love with him or else he's not going to get that opportunity. And then when you talk about, uh, you know, a couple of the other guys that are sort of off the board that did not participate in those showcase games, um, you know, their stock's interesting. Uh, Jeremiah Gimmel is, you know, kind of, uh, it's a little bit of a question mark because I think when you talk about him from a cerebral standpoint, in terms of understanding the game, in terms of leadership, no doubt he's a guy that should be drafted. In terms of the actual skills, this was his chance to step up and have a big year, and he really did it. He was kind of quiet. Um, I think he does have some missed tackle issues. He's, he's got to get a little bit more sure-handed there. But there are some good things to his game. I, I do think that 
you know, he can fit in an inside linebacker. It's just going to take a really good destination for him. I think he'll get the opportunity. Um, I don't know uh, if he will, if he's for sure going to get drafted. Um, I think it's a safe bet at this point because I've seen him on most draft boards. I think he'll be a day three guy, probably somewhere in the middle of day three, five or six. Um, but I could see him dropping, especially with the fact that he didn't participate in the senior bowl, um, which he was invited to at one time. I don't know if that invite was rescinded. Um, I'm not sure if he, you know, just decided he couldn't go for some reason, whatever. But him not being there, I think, definitely stung a little bit in terms of his stock. He does get the combine invite, though, which is huge for him. We'll see. I think a lot of things are going to depend on that. I know he will still have his pro day. But to be there and be compared to some of those other inside linebackers in a spot where, let's be honest, you talk about some of the spots where guys don't get drafted a lot. I think on the defensive side of the ball, that's probably the position that is – uh, you know, the hardest to get drafted at because guys really don't need those old school interior linebackers that really are just focused on setting the defense, making plays in the run game. Um, and that's pretty much it. He's, he's gotten a little bit better in coverage, still not his strong suit. So there's definitely some limitations there, but getting that combine invite is huge. And then getting a combine invite uh, for Joshua Zudu is also a huge step for him. Don't believe he was eligible for any of the showcase games because if he was, I would bet that he would have been able to go in and participate. Sam Howell did graduate from Carolina. That's why he was allowed to participate in the Senior Bowl. I don't believe that Joshua Zudu has graduated yet. He did forego his senior season, so I believe uh, he is still working on completing his degree, which means that he was not eligible to be in those games. But He's going to the combine. That's huge. Offensive line. Uh, again, you know, there, there's it's it's really hard to tell a lot at the combine, but just being there, being able to go in and interview with these uh, GMs and and being able to go out there and potentially put up a good 40 time, which he is pretty athletic, could definitely help him out a lot. Uh, so that's a big step for him. And I, I think getting there will allow him to potentially help his draft stock out a little bit because right now probably seen as an undrafted guy, maybe sneaks in there in the seventh, uh, sixth or seventh round. If somebody really likes him and likes the upside, um, likes some of the flexibility that he brings. But I think this year kind of hurt him a little bit being a part of that offensive line. His numbers weren't nearly as bad as the other two guys in this draft class, but his pass protection numbers still weren't great. Um, his strong suit, once again, going to be run blocking. Teams that need run blockers, that'll be their chance to go out and get one of those guys late in the draft. But again, it'll be an upside guy. Um, and, you know, at the least, think he's definitely a camp body. And I think the fact that he was invited to the combine uh, secures that. And that, that's huge news for him. So, again, the guy's invited to the combine coming up. Uh, at the end of February, it is going to be Sam Howell with the quarterbacks, Ty Chandler with the running backs. You'll have the offensive lineman, uh, Joshua Zudu, and Marcus McKeithen, and then linebacker Jeremiah Gimmel. So those are your guys right now. We are going to have an article that's going up. I'm going to go more in depth, uh, go through the website, sort of update everything that is going on 
You can check that out at HeelToughBlog.com. That's the best place to check out all of the stuff when it comes to the NFL draft guys as they go throughout their process. We're going to have a bunch of guests here on the podcast um, that'll be coming up to sort of explain the stocks of all these guys, where they see these guys going. But we'll have articles for you throughout all of this as well. Meanwhile, in off-season mode, covering you with the weekly storylines each week, we give you those storylines that may have flown under the radar for you. Um, for some of those bigger storylines like Raymond Voasa coming back, there's an article on the website. You can check that one out as well. And, of course, still keeping you up to date on recruiting. Now the attention turns to the 2023 class. I've got my article up there for the top 10 most wanted players. I go more in-depth than uh, the last edition of the podcast where me and Zach talked about that. So if you want to go back and listen to that edition to hear Zach's top 10 guys, there's a couple of guys that I didn't have on my list that are on there. You can go back and do that, listen to my explanations on the podcast as well. And then if you want to go more in-depth, the article is there on the website. It all ties together, guys, and it's all in that one central location. When you stop by the website as well, make sure you check out the podcast. They're at the top of the page. There's a tab for the Heel Tough Blog podcast and the Roy's Boys. Uh, every t- I knew I, I, I'm going to keep doing that from time to time. The Four Corners podcast, it's up there. Make sure you check that out. And check them out wherever any of the major podcasts uh, are at. Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, TuneIn, all those great sites. The best thing about those websites is when you go there, if you're a listener to the podcast, you can go in there and subscribe so you don't miss any editions of the podcast. They go right into your podcast library. I know a lot of you guys have Apple Podcasts, uh, so make sure you guys do that. We would greatly appreciate that. Google Podcasts for those guys that are or guys or ga- or gals, excuse me, that are on Android. Uh, make sure you check those out, and all those other websites are tremendous as well. Um, and then make sure you check out the Facebook page. Uh, that's the best place to get everything in one central location, the articles, the audio editions of the podcast. We still have the waveform editions of the podcast that are going up that you guys love. I know for some reason you love seeing those lines go up and down on the screen. It, it's it's tremendous. I think they're really cool, and we've been doing them for the last couple of months. You guys have really enjoyed those. Don't worry. The video editions of the podcast are eventually going to come back. We're going to find a way, I promise you, to get those back. I'm going to do my hor- you know, my damnedest to get it back for you guys in some capacity. I don't know exactly what it's going to be, but we will get those back for you guys at some point, uh, especially once we roll around a football season. And that'll be on that Facebook page, Heel Tough Blog on Facebook. The other social media pages to check us out, uh, out on is Twitter at Heel Tough Blog on Twitter for the main page. And then the personal pages, that's where you get uh, all the opinions, all that stuff throughout the season. Uh, that's also where we keep you updated on all, uh, for me, all the offers that Carolina is spreading out on the recruiting trail, uh, all the latest news and stuff. We'll react to it. If there's anything that we know, we'll put it out there as well. At HTB Anthony for me, at HTB Josh for the normal co-host uh, during the season and, and in terms of on-field stuff. Josh Marlowe, and then, of course, at HackZubber2 for our recruiting and transfer portal analyst, Zach Covert. I want to thank you guys for listening to this solo edition of the podcast, and as always, all oh, yes.